Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we are talking to a fellow medium who's also a spiritual minister and Reiki master. Kevin Lee is a medium with over 15 years of experience. A nurse by profession, Kevin now serves as the senior minister of the Metaphysical Chapel of South Florida in Fort Lauderdale. He's trained at the Inner Spiritual Center and also with James Von Prague and Deborah Katz. Kevin has also studied at the famed Arthur Finley College, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Welcome so much to our show, Kevin. We're really happy that you were able to take some time out of your busy schedule to speak with us. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much. Hi, Kevin. Thank you. Can you tell people a little bit about how you got from being a nurse to now a minister at the Metaphysical Chapel? It's such a neat story. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in Texas. I'm a product of, of uh, you know, beautiful state, as we call it, the Republic of Texas. But uh, I went off, I, I began my journey as a, a little boy on a farm in the middle of central Texas near Austin. And uh, I will say this to kind of preface everything. I was not born openly psychic. I was not born mediumistic. I never saw ghosts, unfortunately. Never could find the fairies everybody talked about. Uh, never met an alien, uh, and nothing really interesting happened to me as a child uh, of any significance. And uh, as life went along, I realized service to, to others was very important to me. It was a part of my upbringing in the farming community. And I ended up becoming a nurse uh, because that's all about, uh, I love people, I love serving people, I love charity work. And I was also fascinated by medicine that we uh, utilized on our farm as veterinarian skills and things. So I was very comfortable working with animals and um, life and death and birth and euthanasia and those kind of principles and, and li- the little minor surgeries we did on the farm. So medicine and healthcare was very natural for me. And I went off to Houston, Texas. Gosh, that would have been probably early 1990s and was accepted to the Texas Woman's University Nursing School program there in the medical center. And I was very proud of that because my grandmother had gone to Texas Woman's University and she was really uh, such a big, you know, important person in my life. And uh, so she was very proud of that. And then I became student board president of the student body at the campus and then went on to uh, move into the uh, ICU, the in- intensive care units, the, the shock traumas, the cardiovascular recovery rooms in the medical center. And that was in preparation because I wanted to become a nurse anesthetist. And uh, I applied to Baylor College of Medicine and that would have been 1995, right around 1995, 1996. And because I look so young, and I probably was young, I was 26, I, I certainly didn't get one of the spots. There were only 10 spots out of over 400 applications. So uh, I was a little disheartened. Uh, my balloon was deflated, and I decided to go on and enjoy life a little bit and, and maybe revisit going back to anesthesia school later. So I ended up relocating to New York City, lived there for about five years, six years, and then uh, towards the end of that period, a patient of mine who was dying of bone cancer, uh, I asked him, uh, I said, what do you regret most in life? And he said, well, you know, he told me some things. 
And then he turned the question on me and he said, what do you regret most in life? <laughs> and I thought, oh, touche. So it was basically <laughs> that I had never gone back and reapplied for anesthesia school as a nurse. And I thought, and he said, well, why have you not done it? And I said, well, I don't know. I've just been busy. And he said, well, you might want to think about that. And he said, look at where I'm laying in bed. He said, don't be an old man in the bed uh, asking uh, your nurse the same type of question. I thought, well, you're right. So I applied to graduate school. I got immediately pulled in because I had so much experience. And then in 2006, graduated with my nursing anesthesia certification and my nurse practitioner's licensing. And uh, that really set me up for uh, my, I'm currently a nurse anesthetist and I run my own, my own business where I staff myself at different plastic surgery centers or I work for spine surgeons and surgical centers and hospitals. And I do that uh, several days a week, not full time. Uh, and that allows me to do my spiritual work. So I'm very, I feel very blessed. Uh, that's how that all began. It's an incredible story. <laughs> I love that you point out that you didn't see spirits as a child because I think so many people wanting to develop their intuition, they yep. read books of other psychics and mediums and they think, well, this must not be for me because I didn't right. have these experiences as a kid. Yep. That's true. I say that all the time. I tell people, you know, if I can stand up here and do this work and uh, I can demonstrate the continuity of life after the change called death, you can do it too. Because I grew up without a strong connection to spirit. I was a very dreamy child and I was very fantasy oriented and very mystically oriented. I was fascinated by the, the biblical stories of mysticism and phenomena, but uh, that was really the extent of it. If I can stand up here and bring through evidence, anybody can do the same. Uh, we all can do it to different levels of greatness, but it's still a possibility for people. All you have to do is have an open heart and an open mind and trust and trust spirit and just go for it. And, uh, you know, we're our biggest barriers. We hold ourselves back with the fear and, and fear of public speaking, fear of uh, being wrong in, in the public's eye. That's a tough one for us as, as young mediums, right? Uh, the fear of getting the nose. Fear of what people will think, fear of what religion yes. taught us. Fear, oh, fear, yes. fear. Mm -hmm. That's true. I think it's wonderful that you took this to the level of starting a church because a lot of mediums would be content with or spiritually based businesses, you know, I'm, I'll work for my community. But what prompted you to bring it to this level? Because that's, that's an incredible commitment, not only to yourself, but to your congregation. Well, you're preaching to the choir. That's so true. Um, I tell you, when I graduated in 2006 at Christmas time, and then around 2007, June, I'll tell you the story. This is how it all began. I was sitting in my house. I had not started my new job yet as a nurse anesthetist, but I was literally about probably 30 days away from starting. Sitting in my home in downtown Fort Lauderdale, and I'll preface it by saying this. I do not like getting in my car and driving just to drive. It annoys me. I'm bored. I, driving uh, is just not interesting. So I was sitting in my house, and what some people may call the Holy Spirit I would just call a spirit presence. This strange and familiar presence came around me, incredibly strong, and I could rec I recognized something was in the room with me, and I wasn't afraid of it because it felt familiar, but I literally felt as though I needed to get up from my desk and get in my car and go driving. And I thought, 
what the heck is this? It's so strange because I, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't enjoy driving. And so I thought, well, what else do I have to do? Clearly, this is something uh, spiritual. Let me give it a go. So I went and got in my car. And I jokingly said out loud, when I sat down, I said, no, where do you want me to go now? And in my head, I could have swore I heard the words drive south. And I thought, what the heck? And I thought, okay, uh, I have nothing to lose. I'll drive south. So I drove past uh, the airport in Fort Lauderdale into a little sleepy town called Dania Beach. And I had never been there. No one goes to Dania Beach, really, but maybe Canadian tourists or uh, international tourists that just want a very peaceful, quiet beach experience. I drove into the little town and drove by a shopping plaza. And on, on the billboard, it said metaphysical chapel. And I thought, what the heck is that? How, how is that possible that those two words go, go together? <laughs> and because where, where I grew up Southern Baptist, I didn't even mention that to you all, but those words were so diametrically opposed. I couldn't, literally could not understand how anyone could put those words together. It's like putting the word Satan with angel together. And uh, I thought, what the heck is this place? What, what I know chapel means a small church, like a wedding chapel, but that word metaphysics, I think that means psychic. And those aren't, those words aren't supposed to go together. Well, so I was enthralled. I thought it's weird, but I'm going to keep driving South. So I drove past it and probably less than half a block later, I hit this energetic barrier and I thought, what is going on today? What is all this weird energy? And it felt like it wanted me to turn around and do a U-turn. I thought, okay, I'll turn around. So I turned around and I went into the parking lot, looked in the window, and all I saw was witches' calendars, vo sexy voodoo candles, uh, Hindu sculptures, Native American dream catchers. Uh, oh my gosh, all kinds of bizarre things. I saw crystal skulls and I thought, what the heck kind of church is this? This is weird, but I love it. So they were closed, unfortunately, but the sign said they had a psychic fair, which I thought that was unbelievable. How does the church have a psychic fair? And then I saw they had a Sunday morning healing and Sunday worship service. And I thought, okay, worship, that means they worship, they believe in God. So, okay, I'm gonna check this place out. So two weeks later, I got up the courage, brought a friend with me so I wouldn't be by myself. I go in, everyone's twice my age. Everybody's all white. Nobody's, uh, there was no uh, Hispanic or Asian or black people in this church. It was, it was such a 60 and over crowd it was a strange experience for me. I really expected it to be a little more multiracial and a little younger. So they treated me very nice. I watched the spiritual healing, which I'd never seen done. I was fascinated by that. It reminded me of Bible things. And then a woman came up and gave a sermon uh, on metaphysical principles and interpretation of Bible scripture. And I was shocked not only to see a woman preacher, I'd never seen that, uh, I'd heard of them, uh, I was, that impressed me. And then she interpreted Bible scripture metaphysically. And it, it literally, as I sat there, my soul began to burn and flame and I could just feel my light growing tremendously. I felt instantly at home. And wow. I, what is going on here, this weird place? And why do I feel like I'm in, I'm, I found my home. This doesn't make any sense to me. And I loved what this woman had to say. And next thing I know, then she's giving messages to members in the audience. 
I thought, how in the hell uh, can a preacher be giving messages, psychic messages in a church? This is so taboo. What is going on here? <laughs> so this place messed with my mind so heavily that very first time. And I, I, I fell in love. I fell in love with this little church. And I didn't tell you, but there were barely eight people in the audience that very first Sunday I went. It was so tiny. They were falling apart. They didn't have enough money to continue. They were, when I came, they were probably weeks, if not months, from shutting their doors. And they had been around for about 25 years by, at that point, uh, maybe 30 years. And uh, what I recognized was I had found my home, and I began to fight the elders and the board members of the church to please not close down because I had finally found my place in my community. It was funny because they sure did a lot of exercises, all those eye rolls and, and uh, heavy breathing at my little ideas. But I was so determined to make this place work. So I, because of my upbringing, I had uh, created and bought, I'd created and run different organizations and businesses. I had a lot of business skills. So I said, I can prove to you, you can be successful. No, no, no. We're losing money. Nobody comes anymore. Speakers don't come anymore. Guests don't come anymore. I said, well, I don't think you're running things right. Let me run it. Well, you know, they just weren't too sure. But so I basically began doing fundraisers for them and showing them how to raise money. It was successful. We succeeded. I saved our church. What looking back now, my soul, and I remember thinking back then, why am I fighting so hard for these people? These people don't know me, and, and I don't really know this church. Why do I care so much? Well, now when I look back, my soul was building the ministry of what I have today. I know that's what it is. That's the only, only thing I can explain why I even cared so much about the little church in the beginning. So, you were called. It, true. I was called. We grew and grew and grew, and then eventually I relocated us into Fort Lauderdale in, in Wilton Manors. Then a few years later in 2012, relocated us to downtown Fort Lauderdale, where we currently are on Sunshine Cathedral campus. It's a huge property. We've grown and grown and grown. We have a huge music program, and we have a children's program, which I'm proud of. We have a wonderful mediumship development program. We have a spiritual healing training program. And uh, hopefully, uh, in the next few months, I can get a live broadcast ministry up and going. That's my next goal. But I've got some work to do on that. So things are growing, and I'm very excited about it. And that's kind of how the church has continued since I've been around. We've, it's been around for a total of 40, gosh, I should know, but around 1979 they started. 1979, 1980s. So that's about 40 plus years. So they've been around quite some time. And, and our church is part of a national church system called the United Metaphysical Churches. There are 15 churches from Michigan down to Florida. I have a sister church in Lake Worth, Florida called the United Metaphysical Church of the Palm Beaches. We are a part of this uh, system of churches or denomination. And we have a four-year seminary program. So we train people to become metaphysical ministers. And we do study uh, other religions in that program to make us a little more interfaith and understanding. We also train people in a three-year mediumship development program, which uh, you get certified at the end. We have a one-and-a-half-year spiritual healing program, which you get certified at the end of that. And then there's also a certification for meta metaphysical studies, uh, a program track that you can take. So there's a lot of good things within our church system, and I'm just so proud of it. I'm very, very proud of our church. You should be. It, 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 it's like a movie to me. What, you know, I, I could see it in the movie, you getting the, the voice in your head and driving by this 
little church and building it and growing you, it. I tell you, it was so amazing. That was an amazing experience. <laughs> now, I got to ask you, being raised in a Southern Baptist home in Texas, how is your family responding to all of this? Was that difficult telling them what you're well, doing? Well, yes and no. I did. Uh, it's funny because I had told my brother and my sister-in-law about all of this, and they are very supportive. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it, but they're very supportive. And uh, I even brought them over one time. Uh, we had an international medium uh, fly in to do physical seance. So I, of course, booked them a couple of seats, and I threw them into the middle of, of a world-class physical mediumship materialization seance. <laughs> Talk about weirding them out, poor things. They were so weirded out. They didn't know what the heck was going on. And I, shame on me for doing it. But uh, I just wanted them to see the crazy reality that I live in, that this stuff is not of Hollywood movies. And they really struggled to wrap their heads around. They, you know, they just thought the medium was being uh, fraudulent. Uh, they were willing to consider things, but they still couldn't wrap their heads around how he got unchained or untaped. And, and, uh, and I said, it's not him. It's the extension of his life force and the spirits uh, manipulating things in the room. You could hear his voice in one room, one part of the room, and yet the phenomena is happening across the room. So uh, clearly it was not him. They've grown a lot because I, I share a lot with them. The rest of my family uh, literally doesn't know because uh, – it would kill their spirit to know they're so conservative. They couldn't handle it. And mm -hmm. uh, I just couldn't do that to them. So I just conveniently don't discuss it with them. I totally get that. Yeah. I really do. Some people in my family still don't really know. They're, they know I do a little thing called a podcast. And yep. I think my parents tell them I'm a life coach or something like good. that. <laughs> well, it's good. You know, there's no point. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, uh, the Bible says, one of the commandments is thou shalt not kill. It doesn't mean just the physical body. It also means the spirit of the person. So if I know that what I'm going to tell a family member who is, say, a devout Southern Baptist, or maybe they are uh, a Hasidic or something like that, very conservative or ultra-Orthodox, if I tell them something about me that would highly offend them and threaten their sense of reality or religious beliefs, I don't I personally don't agree with sharing that information because all it's going to do is upset them. There's no benefit to telling them. And uh, we really don't need other people's approval or acceptance for what we do for spirit. Uh, that is a human condition and a little sign of immaturity that the individual feels that they need their family's permission. Uh, so right. I personally prefer to keep things private and do what I do for spirit in my community and move on. It, it's also very respectful. Right. And, right. and honoring that they're, that what you, you believe or they believe neither is, I mean, my own personal aside is I think it all goes to the same place. Amen, Denise. That's exactly right. You know, there, I don't know where this saying comes from, but someone made the comment, maybe it's a Buddhist saying, if I'm remembering correctly, but there are multiple paths up the mountain, but they all lead to the same uh, pinnacle, which is God. So some pathways, which in re symbolically that means religions, some pathways are rocky and difficult and you have to suffer along the way to get to the top. Others are glorious and green and surrounded by flowers and, and it's a nice easy incline and others are up and down and all over the place. So every religion has a purpose and a, and a reason for existence on earth in this dimension because every religion is an expression of that divine source, infinite intelligence we call God. And that's why uh, the Catholic religion has come forward. It's needed for souls on earth. That's why Southern Baptists 
have uh, the religion of that has come forward. It's needed for those souls. My family needs the Southern Baptist religion. I do not. I've, I've outgrown it. It doesn't mean I'm any better. It doesn't mean uh, I'm necessarily any higher along the path. It just means my soul does not resonate with it. And I've found what resonates for me. So this works for me, but yet my next door neighbors probably uh, would run, run for the hills if they knew what I believe, because most people uh, just aren't ready for it. So but that was a beautiful so, way to describe it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm Catholic and in my religion, we tend to stick to the new Testament. Yes. You know, in mass, we do a reading from the old Testament, but that's really it. Yes. We tend to focus on what Jesus said. So I do this other podcast called Psychic Teachers, and we get a lot of emails from people asking us, how can you do what you do and, and still go to church every Sunday? And the Bible says this oh, and that. So I decided to do a whole show on what does the Bible say about psychics and, and meet it that way. Well, Kevin, I, I haven't read the Bible, but I've never read right. the Old Testament specifically looking for what it says about psychics and mediums. Oh, bless and I came away from that <laughs> research going, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. So I would just love your take on some of the passages from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and, and whatnot. How do, you, how do you balance and bridge that in your work? Okay, so close that book you call the Bible. I read, I use the Bible in my sermons, but uh, you did what, you did a rookie mistake, but I, it's okay. It's a good learning lesson. So, uh, so many people come through our doors at the Metaphysical Chapel, and they ask the very same question. How can I justify coming to your church and go to Catholic Mass later and feel that my soul is not being condemned to hell? And mm -hmm. what I tell them is this. There are, uh, the Bible is a compilation of books and letters put together uh, in, I believe, 350 and 580 uh, by different councils. It was, it's been uh translated, retranslated, rewritten uh, multiple times to fulfill the needs of the powers that be who are in charge for the different versions. And the Bible is a beautiful book. It does have uh, uh, beautiful golden nuggets of truth in there. There are beautiful uh, uh, principles of life and spirituality and, uh, and love of God and the angels and the higher realms. You've kind of got to dig for it. It is surrounded. There have been uh, portions added uh, because of the powers that be that fulfilled their needs, especially the King James Version, unfortunately. And uh, homosexuality became uh, really bastardized and uh, a, a major sin because of the King James Version when it was not previous to that. So isn't that interesting and convenient how it suddenly appeared when it was never there originally? So people have to understand that the Bible has been, uh, uh, over, over a long period of time, has been uh, put together and manipulated, if that's, maybe it's a harsh word, but it's, it's really been uh, put together in such a way to fulfill the needs of the religious leaders and institutions. Mm -hmm. because there are scriptures in there that talk about in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the various other places about uh, you should not consult with witches and mystics and oracles and you should not uh, commune uh, with spirits and you should not call upon the dead and whatnot. Well, isn't it interesting that uh, Jesus manifested all of the psychic gifts, every single one of them, uh, and Jesus also uh, determined his disciples based on their mediumship abilities. Uh, and he chose these random people uh, who had potential to follow along him and become his 12 disciples. Really, they became his 12 mediums. Uh, 
and uh, he gave them the same, he, he, what is the word charge? He charged them with the same abilities that he had because he said, he, he said to them in one scripture, uh, they were talking about how can we cast out demons? How can we heal when you're the ultimate? And he said to them, know ye not ye are gods. Isn't that powerful? What he was saying to them was not that, oh, you're a God. What he was really saying was, do you not realize that you were made in the image of your creator, which is uh, uh, God? In other words, you are that you are a divine spark of that great uh, eternal creative expression that created this universe. You can do anything because you're the expression of that God source, just as I am. And so he was reminding them and he said, the works that I do, you'll do even greater works. Uh, whether they did or not, I don't know. But what he was saying was, all of these miraculous, the things that you see that look miraculous, these are all natural psychic and mediumistic and healing abilities everyone has if you're willing to uh, own them and stand in them. And so he gave them, he charged them the abilities to go out with the gifts of spirit to heal and prophesy and cast out demons and and do all these sorts of things, uh, remote view and all kinds. So isn't it interesting that people say, well, when Jesus died, all these psychic abilities stopped. They don't exist anymore. Psychic phenomena doesn't happen anymore. There's no more paranormal phenomena. That was all Bible time. Well, that's what I heard growing up. And I thought, BS, because I know good and well it's going on. And I know that there's healers. I know there's intuitives out there and so-called uh, mediums. When you look at this from a greater perspective, there is, there is scripture added to the Bible to keep you from mastering and, and becoming the greatest you can as a uh, God-given right, a natural ability, a nat- your natural gifts of spirit, it holds you back. These institutions were trying to hold the people back. Why? Because the power was in the pulpit, which is the priests, the rabbis, the imams, and uh, the other religious leaders. They wanted the power to remain in the leadership, not in the pews. And we say in the United Metaphysical Churches, which I I absolutely love because it makes people open their eyes, we tell them, just because we have a title and I stand in this pew, I don't have the power in the church. You sitting in the pew have the power. You are the ones to connect to God. Don't ask me to connect to God for you. I will teach you how to connect to that God source or to the spirit world or to your healing abilities. Your job is to do the work. You are personally responsible. It is not my job as a minister to pray or ask for God to forgive you for your sins or your mistakes in life. That is your responsibility because you are a direct expression of the God source and uh, I am not your liaison. My job is to lead you and guide you and inspire you. You have to do all the work 100%. So uh, when people are concerned about being a part of a community full of psychic gifts or gifts of spirit, just remind them that uh, there were scriptures added those scriptures were to hold the people back, but yet, isn't it interesting, Jesus never got that email. He must have never read those scriptures because Jesus performed all of these gifts of spirit, all of these so-called psychic gifts, and so did all of his disciples, and those were human beings. So why is it that Mm -hmm. there's only 12 human beings who were given the permission by uh, the Master Jesus and not the rest of humanity? I don't buy that. So I believe that all of humanity has the potential and the divine birthright, and it's in our innate nature. It's a natural ability within every individual. And and I can go further to say, because I never saw ghosts or never uh, had mediumistic experiences or healing or psychic phenomena or paranormal phenomena growing up, 
I began developing my gifts 11 years ago in 2007. And today I can stand on a platform and bring through evidence of the continuity of life. I've been a part of physical seances where spirit has walked into the room and talked to us and handed me objects from the spirit realms that did not exist in our room. Crazy things like that. So uh, if I can do this work and do it to a, uh, what I consider a, a very good level of, of a demonstration of spirit and gifts of spirit, anybody can do it. I believe it. So uh, that's what I want to make sure your listeners know. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yes. And I'll tell you, Samantha and Denise, I have been looking uh, in my library, which is massive and, of course, overflowing. But uh, I will get you guys. I I can, if I remember correctly, the author's name is Moses Hull, H-U-L-L. He has written, these books are no longer in print. You maybe can find them on Amazon as a reprint, but even then they're going to be rare. These books, he had two books written on uh, biblical spiritualism, which is all the psychic phenomena of the Bible. It is the most fascinating, uh, very old book, probably 125-year-old book uh, that was written about all the different instances, stories, and what they really mean, what they were really talking about for psychic phenomena. It's like the opposite of the Jefferson Bible. Oh, I've Have never heard, heard of the Jefferson, Jefferson Bible. Bible. Mm. Thomas Jefferson didn't like all the psychic stuff in the Bible, so he wrote his own, and he took the Bible, and he cut out all the miracles and all the, wow. all the metaphysical woo-woo stuff. And he I'm shocked. Had a, yeah, and he had several copies printed. It's called the Jefferson Bible. Wow. Moses Hall. I'll look up that up. Moses Hall, definitely. And it was funny because uh, probably a year ago, I was doing research uh, into a very rare form of mediumship called precipitation mediumship, which is where spirit creates images and writings uh, literally through a process of precipitation or materialization. And they precipitate pigments and inks into uh, through thought control in a very intelligent way to get their message across to us humans. No human hand is involved. And there's even no spirit hands involved either. They haven't created little instruments. And as I was doing my research, I found that Martin Luther, of all people, who was the gentleman who took, and I may get this wrong, but he basically took Christianity and broke it off into... Catholicism, or it was Catholicism into Christianity. I no, can't remember which. Protestantism. He was. He hated the Catholics and the indulgences they were giving. Ah, so that's what it was. So he created the Protestant, right? Now, this book that was given to me, it has in there that uh, that Martin Luther's wife died, and when she died, she began coming back in his living room because his, one of his daughters was a physical medium. He didn't know it. His daughter would go into an altered state, and his wife would begin to materialize as a glowing ball of light and she would speak through the light and then uh, eventually she manifested a dove and then she manifested actually precipitated images uh, for them and so I included that some of that in my research but I was shocked to hear that in the 1500s when all this was taking place not only was there my research evidence of some of my research was to be found but also I thought how fascinating that even back then this famous figure was involved with materializations, transmediumship, and uh, paranormal phenomena, and most of the world has no clue. No. He must have thought she was possessed. I know. Incredible. It was so incredible. So he literally uh, was very careful about not sharing these paranormal experiences with people outside of the home because he knew what it would mean. And so he literally... Uh, was creating this whole religious new pathway 
uh, while he was experiencing the spirit world made manifest in his living room. And so I think that influenced him to a degree. It was fascinating. Fascinating. It is. Wow. I'm wondering ahead, if there's, <laughs> thank you. Uh, if there's a difference between the tenets of being a metaphysical church versus a spiritualist church. Oh, very good question. Okay, so our church system evolved out of the religion of spiritualism. And for your listeners who don't know, spiritualism began in the mid-1800s, the late 1840s. Some will even say it began in the 1820s and 30s through Andrew Jackson Davis, who was an incredible medium and prolific author, a fascinating gentleman. But uh, really, the religion began to kind of organize after the Fox sister phenomena, and the concept of spirit community communication came forward through rapping and through uh, instruments. And then the messages of the continuity of life came along with some spiritual principles of guiding the individuals who were part of this fascinating worldwide movement. Well, it was American, but then it, it spread around the world like wildfire. And spirits began to uh, tell people, these are the principles of life you should live by as spiritualists and create a new world religion that will, you know, can demonstrate and teach and prove the continuity of life after death and that we are all natural mediums if we will develop it. And so in the spiritualist organization worldwide, because they're so focused on the evidence of the continuity of life after death, uh, the principle of reincarnation comes into play. The vast majority of spiritualists do not support the, the principle we call reincarnation because there's no way to prove it. How do we know we're not tapping into uh, uh, some, uh, we don't know what we're tapping into is what their argument is. There's no way to prove it because you don't, nobody who lived in a previous life is alive today. So they will not discuss it for the vast majority. I'm sure there are some splinter cell churches that do, but most do not. Our founder was born a spiritualist boy wonder, Reverend F. Reed Brown. He was born into a uh, a family of church planters and spiritualists. They traveled the country in the mid-1900s and early 1900s. And uh, he, they would travel and teach spiritualism and demonstrate mediumship and healing. And, and they, would create, they would set up churches along the way. And it generated a lifestyle for them that they would always have business wherever they traveled. So it was a beautiful system that, that had been kind of created. And at some point, our founder, Reverend Brown, uh, his spirit guides began to talk about reincarnation. Well, that didn't really set well with a lot of spiritualists. And he personally believed that reincarnation was a valid potential, and he continued to teach it. Also, a second principle is the, uh, the especially the American spiritualist uh, church organization, uh, that or national organization, they own all of their properties. All of the churches must sign over the property to the national organization. And if you're not successful, they will come in and close you down and take all of your hard-earned assets away to national, and you have no say in the matter. So our founder decided that was inappropriate because he had seen churches lose all of their hard efforts. And so he wanted to create his own church system, and Spirit suggested he do so. And so he broke away and created the United Metaphysical Churches over 50 years ago and uh, has never looked back. We've done wonderful. And so we allow for the principle of reincarnation to be taught, but we don't shove it down people's throats. We teach it. If you want to believe it, great. If you don't, great. Thanks for coming.
And, you know, so that's really the way it is. And all of our churches are individually owned and we're chartered chapters within the national denomination called the United Metaphysical Churches. So that's the difference between divine metaphysical churches and uh, spiritualist churches. That's fascinating. I didn't know all of that. Mm -hmm. Smith, you were going to ask about seances? Yes, yes. Yeah, Kevin, if you could talk a little bit about your experiences with physical seances and how and how does that work and can people participate at your church? Absolutely. So I work very hard. My goal in life is to make sure that everybody has the same incredible experiences I've had these last 11 years. I travel at my own expense to uh, find mediums in different places in the world. And uh, I, I want people to come to my church and my community to demonstrate what I talk about. I can talk about it all day, but I can't demonstrate some of these things because it's not, uh, some of them are not my gifts of, uh, that, are, that have unfolded. So I want to bring in healers and mystics and, and mediums and physical mediums and precipitation mediums and shamans. And I bring these people in to demonstrate what we teach as real, a reality and truth. So uh, a lot of my very dear friends around the world are physical mediums. And I bring them into South Florida to our church, and the public is more than welcome to fly in and attend. We host about 140 different events per year. Of those, a very few are physical mediumship seances. And when I say physical mediumship, I'm talking about materialization, where ectoplasm materializes, objects are levitated, uh, uh, moved around the room, light uh, strange paranormal light phenomena, sounds, uh, voices from the ethers, um, all types of things like that. So there's all types of experiences that people can come to, but I would say probably, oh gosh, four times a year, I will have a world-class medium come into our church to demonstrate. And actually, I will say that on November 30th, in the weekend of December 1st and 2nd, we are going to have an old spiritualist Christmas seance, which is a materialization seance uh, by the medium Warren Kaler out of England. Uh, and he is a legitimate medium. I know that there are people out there that uh, do not care for him and his mediumship. Uh, but I will say this, I have sat in probably over 40 of his seances. I have personally been responsible for restraining him. And uh, I don't take fraud very lightly. I'm a very serious minister when it comes to this stuff because my reputation is on the line as well. And uh, I can say that I know that he is legitimate because I have sat next to him in all these seances. And phenomena has happened that could not have happened based on where he was in the room. And everybody was accounted for. Uh, plus, uh, just the types of phenomena are truly remarkable. And so anyway, this, this Christmas seance that we're going to be holding with Warren, I will say this, uh, we bring Christmas presents that are wrapped for spirit children. They materialize, come into the room, they open the gifts, we can hear them giggling, talking, uh, they interact with us. Sometimes they put the toys on our laps, and uh, then they retreat to the spirit world, and they take the spirit copy of the physical toy we brought back with them. And then we donate those physical toys to a local charity. So that is a very rare seance uh, that is not offered in the United States very often. Your listeners are more than welcome to be a part of it. I just have to interview everybody who comes uh, to make sure you're ready for the experience. But other than that, that's the only stipulation is that that interview that must be done. Okay, so these types of seances that we have are anything from trumpet seances to uh, Lakota medicine men healing. We call them seances, but they call them healing ceremonies, Uwipis, Luwampis, 
pipe ceremonies. Oh, they're full of paranormal phenomena, but they're all about healing. And uh, we have uh, precipitation. Uh, we have a precipitation medium coming in 2019. So uh, just a lot of good things are going to be coming our way. I invite anybody. What's, who, the, what's the coolest thing you've seen in a seance? Wow. Okay. Uh, an apport appeared on command uh, through a quantum light beam, which was an like a, a, a lightning flash in the seance room that was so palpable, it, you literally felt the light slap you. And the light came from the hand of the medium Kai Muga from Germany. The spirit told us it was coming, and they said, we're going to send an object through light which is what you all are doing now with your lasers. You're sending information through light. We, do, we can do the same thing and we'll prove it to you. So they had us clear the floor of all instruments except for a little bucket with a dot on it so we could focus. We turned the red light up just a little bit so you could see on the floor, there was nothing on the floor but the bucket. And we all held hands and the medium's arm was pushed forward by the spirit control who was speaking through the medium. And then as the spirit control is grunting and opening and closing the hand, is always trying to push something out of the hand, this massive flash of, I, I don't, I, all I can say is it was like quantum light. It filled the room, every inch of it instantly, so bright, you saw the whole room for a, a brief second and you could feel it touch you. And then right on the floor where spirit said it would appear was a huge, probably five inches across and maybe four inches tall, a huge crystal appeared on the floor right in front of our eyes. And we screamed and howled. We loved it. That was spectacular. Through wow. the same medium, another time when I was in New Jersey, the very first time I, I flew up to meet him, we were at a location. The same spirit control, Hans Bender, extracted the life force of the medium, this huge pile of ectoplasm, and it laid on the floor. It came out of his mouth. It fell to the floor. It, it breathed, literally breathed on the floor like a cloud breathing. And it was independent by itself. The floor was concrete. There were no trap doors. Then nobody was touching it. And it was probably two to three feet in front of the medium. And we had the red light on very slightly so we could see it. And I'm not kidding, but out of the, the spirit control said, I'm going to send my arm through the ectoplasm and you will see my arm. Next thing you know, out comes a strange little uh, protrusion upwards out of the breathing cloud of ectoplasm. And it kept growing and it grew to about, I don't know, maybe 20 inches tall, like maybe the height of from your elbow to the tips of your fingers. It was a hand and an, uh, a portion of an arm. And it was, uh, there were no fingers at first, and then the hand spun, and the fingers separated, and we, and we screamed and howled again, oh my God, it's a hand, and one lady said, hello, friend, and the hand whipped around and looked at her, and waved at her, and as it began to sink down, you could eat, we noticed it had a signet ring on one of the fingers, and it disappeared into the cloud, and it was gone. And when we asked the spirit control about the ring, he said, yes, that's my signet ring that I had. You can even see it in the old historical pictures of myself. He said, it's the same ring. It was spectacular. That was uh, truly amazing. Yeah. And I've yeah. seen all kinds of things. I mean, those are just a few. I've, oh my gosh, there's so many stories. I don't even know what else to tell you. I've literally seen precipitated images and writing appear before our eyes in a seance that we were doing for precipitated spirit card writing, where spirit writes and draws beautiful images on these cards. And we saw them literally, I will say this, phase into our dimension, because that's the only way I can describe it. They precipitated forward into this dimension on the cards right in front of our eyes as we were very slightly elevating the 
the light frequency, the red light. And that was because of our founder who was trying to demonstrate one of his old abilities. He hadn't done it in a while and it was successful. That was fascinating. Gosh, that really is. <laughs> I, live in, I live in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> <laughs> and you studied in England. I did. Because I know that you had mentioned Arthur Finley, which is mecca for mediums pretty much as far as any training is involved. We were talking uh, before we hit record with Kevin that Denise and I, it's our goal to go because we feel like we're the only practicing mediums who haven't been. <laughs> you got to go. <laughs> you got to go. It's Hogwarts. You got to go. I know. <laughs> but you were saying that it's really intense. You yes, only go yes. for a week at a time. So oh, could that's you tell a good people point. about yes, that experience? Absolutely. So the uh, Arthur Findlay College goes back hundreds of years in its land deed. I'll say this, which is really interesting. One of my, uh, one of my spirit guides, if you will, my guru, is uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote Autobiography of a Yogi. I love studying those teachings. So that's an interesting point. When I went to Arthur Findlay the first time as we were sitting in class, one of the teachers mentioned that the land deed goes back to William the Conqueror uh, on that property. And they have it somewhere in the, in the library. So I thought, wait a minute, I've heard that name before. And when I went home, I found Paramahansa Yogananda, my guru, uh, said in his book that in a previous life, he was William the Conqueror. Isn't that interesting? The two uh, great things in my life wow. is my guru and the Arthur Finley College. And I, they have both come into intersection on my very first visit to Arthur Finley College. So that showed me I was in the right place at the right time. That was pretty amazing. This school goes back quite, quite many years. I don't know its full history, but it's an incredible school of spiritualism to teach you healing, psychic, and mediumistic uh, your uh, uh, gifts, uh, uh, arts. I highly, highly recommend you go. There are people that don't like it. There are people that love it. Uh, go judge for yourself. Never listen to somebody else's opinion. Uh, I think they do a fabulous job, a highly professional job. They take mediumship seriously and healing seriously. This work must be considered professional and they take it 100% professional. Yes, their techniques may be uh, harsh sometimes, but I have to commend them. I love the Arthur Finley College and what they stand for and what they do. And that is exactly why I'm highly ethical and highly professional in my mediumship and my public demonstrations. And I expect a very high level of, of, of professionalism and respect in, from my students as well. And that comes directly from the example I saw at the Arthur Finley College. So uh, the training programs are a few days to a whole week. I recommend, based on my experience, that you, if anyone goes, you only book a week at a time. Then you go on a little trip or a vacation for a few days to some other neighboring country. And maybe then if you feel you want to go back to Arthur Finley for a third week, then go back on that third week, but don't do two weeks back to back because I can't tell you the number of students who I've met on my trips who have spent the money for two courses back to back and the vast majority could not finish the second course. They dropped out. It is too intense energetically, psychically, uh, the energies, they, they, you do so much work and training and practice and it's tough. It's very tough, but it's got to be tough because they're trying to develop you as much as they can in that little time period. That's good to hear because, you know, when I first started out doing mediumship years ago, I was so drained by the, if I do a psychic reading, I'm charged up, ready to go. I can do those back to back. Yes. But when I do mediumship readings, I get very drained. I can only do so many a yep. day. Yep. And I started emailing other mediums and asking them, 
you know, do you, has this happened to you? And they were all very nice and emailed me back, but they all said, no, never has. Hmm. And I kind of felt like the odd duck out. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to hear that, yeah, it is draining. Cause I, I, and I wonder if you find that difference yep. too. Yeah, in my own private practice, I do get drained. And it's because we give so much of ourselves. So you've got to do, you and your students must be doing uh, energetic exercises to build you up before your reading. And then also mm-hmm. during the reading, doing uh, some minimal, uh, maybe some minimal aura strengthening exercises or just being cognizant of your energy. Where is that energy going? Are you pouring too much magnetic energy towards the client in the room or are you, uh, have you expanded yourself so far out to reach that phone reading client that your energy is spread around the planet? And at the end, maybe you just hang up the phone and walk in the house or you leave yourself expanded or you leave that channel open. You've got to do a closing down between every client because otherwise you're just going to get drained. Uh, And people poo-poo that and say, oh, it can't be that easy. But really, if you don't do that work, you, you literally become much more drained. And by working with saving and building your own energy, you're building a spiritual battery that is a real freaking thing. And my mentors always taught me about that. If you don't work on saving and, and building your own battery and protecting that energy, you will give it away to all of your students and your clients and you, you won't build up as fast and you won't be able to sustain things long term. So uh, burnout tends to happen, anxiety, issues like that. So they always said uh, work to conserve your energy. Yeah. And you see that a lot, but you don't see a lot of mediums talking about it. It's no. almost like a... Like a you know why? Subject. I bet you I bet you most of them are not working as mediumistically as they think. And I think they're working right. from psychic energies and most people don't know what mediumship really is. So they're okay with the what I call the average psychic reading and uh, with a, um, a grandmother who's got white hair and uh, and uh, she has mobility issues, you know, not very evidential, but that's kind of the stuff people get. And because they're not working such high vibrationally, they're not expending a lot of energy. So that's why they're not so exhausted. But us mediums uh, can definitely expend our energies very quickly if we're not careful. So you've got to work on just find something that excites you. Go find a book, a Chinese book of energy or uh, uh, some sort of a Buddhist book on energy techniques or a healing book on energy techniques. Whatever excites you, use it. That's that's what you're saying. You know what helps me? I read a neat little trick where you you keep a glass of water on the table where you're doing readings. Yes, I love that. And you ask the parents to use their, yeah, to use that for their energy rather than you. And and that tends to help me a lot. Good. And I always hold a crystal as well to kind of absorb a lot of that. Absolutely. um, I will also, Spirit has also suggested we place either dead sea salt or Himalayan salt into the water. And Mm -hmm. uh, also if your crystals, if you will charge the crystal in sunlight or moonlight, whichever you wish, uh, just before your reading sessions or your healing sessions, uh, that is helpful. Also placing live plants either in your room near you doing the work or into the water like flower pet, uh, flowers from your garden, even, uh, even small green limbs of plants. If you want to snip off the ends of ivy or uh, beautiful shaped uh, leaves in your garden, just throw them in the water and let them lay there. It's a living life force magnified by the water and all those elements in the salt. So those all help. That's very helpful to you. I agree. What do you do for psychic protection when you're doing this work, especially with the seances? Sure. Well, seances, because we work in in love and light, there's nothing to fear in seances. A lot of people do mention that. Uh, A lot of times the mediums will do their own protection work for the space. 
uh, will sage the room, but all saging does is just clear out negativity and restore uh, positivity. Uh, saging does not drive away evil like people think, and it's still useful, but you have to do prayer work and spirit work on the space to push back negative souls. So basically when I'm doing work or, or any type of seance gathering, I call in my spirit guides and I, I ask for the angelic realm to, to fill the room. And because I set the intention of working with God and good and love and light, the space is flooded with white light. And because of my very nature, I don't delve into the dark forces. I know about them, but I live my life in a respectful, serving kind of way. The light of who I am fills the room also. So really, you need to know the medium that you're going to be working with because if they have a negative presentation, then they probably are bringing in negative uh, vibrations and souls uh, closer to the experience. So I would always, uh, as a working medium or as a minister, I bless the space and I call in my guides and my team. And then I just ask for the highest and best in the space and just fill it with white light. And if you feel people feel they want to do saging and holy water, go for it. That's beautiful, positive energy. And uh, when you work in that vibration, that's what you'll draw to you. And that powerful white light holds back the darkness, literally holds it back. I agree. And I love that you keep emphasizing your own light because yep. I think so many people are trained to give their power away. Yep. Well, the sage will do it, or the Bible will do it, or yep. my angel will do it. And I think all of that is true, but we have to hold on to our own personal power and remember. Mm -hmm. That's so life. true. Absolutely. And I'll say this quickly. Uh, the uh, Ouija board, I have no issue with the Ouija board, but I, the Ouija board has no power. It's just a piece of plastic and cardboard. You are the power. Mm -hmm. your, your intention, your mind, your spiritual energy, how you approach the tool is just a tool, an instrument. You can pick, I, I have witnessed uh, Ouija boards made from chairs, Ouija boards made from sheets of paper, uh, Ouija boards made from crystals, and uh, it is through your intention that sets up the focus area of that spiritual field for you to make contact with the spirit world. And your intention is the key that opens the type of lock for what kind of entities will come forward. Are they going to be blessed? Or are they going to be loved ones? Or are they going to be uh, low and chaotic dark forces? So your intention is the key. You are the key. And people think that, oh, I would never touch a Ouija board. Well, that's BS because the Ouija board, clearly you don't understand. The board has no power. You are the power. And that's what the priest of old tried to hide from people was that they held the power, meaning you, the individual, and the priest acted as though they were the go-between between God and humanity and even the dark forces. So if you had issues, you had to come to them and pay them chickens and goats and gold coins or whatever, <laughs> and uh, they would take care of you or they would talk to the spirits on your behalf. And that's not right. We hold the power. We are the direct expression of God in human form. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We are the light, the living light in a conscious way. And we're powerful. And where you put your thoughts, that is your reality. So that's what I want people to know most of all today. Well said. Well, you've got that exciting seance coming up this Christmas. And then yes. you have a really special guest coming in April that I'd love for you to tell our listeners about. Absolutely. So John Holland will be with us April 4th, 2019. We're going to do a demonstration of mediumship. Uh, and actually, that's the night before he goes out on his cruise. 
with with Baron with Baron. I just know her as Baron, but uh, she's a lovely medium. And uh, uh, John and Baron will be going for a week on a cruise, so people can definitely check out our website now, metaphysicalchapel.com. Go to the events button and look through each of the months, and you can see those events coming forward. Perfect. So that's say those say those the two websites because you have your own and then the oh yes absolutely website. so if you want to check out my personal website it's revkevinlee.com that's r e v kevinlee.com and then also if you'd like to learn about my church and my church system and all the things that we're doing here in South Florida you can go to metaphysicalchapel.com okay I do have an Instagram account which is simply Rev Kevin Lee you can find that and then of course a Facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash Rev Kevin Lee awesome and we will put all those links on our Facebook page as well thank you so much for spending this hour with this us. has I been really an incredible hour I love you ladies thank you so much uh, thank we you. really enjoyed having you and thank you everyone Anytime. for listening please don't forget to always show up do great work and share your light take care everyone Bye-bye.